So, today we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. We're going through the fruits of the Spirit. All throughout the summer, this week's fruit of the Spirit is patience. Everybody loves it when the preacher starts talking about patience. Because we all kind of default to like, okay, you're going to tell me at the end of the sermon that I just need to be a more patient person, right? And we all do need to be more patient people. But in this particular text, there's more to just like a simple idea about patience. And to illustrate this, I want to talk about a time when I lost my wedding ring. Now, I have my wedding ring on my hand, so I didn't like lose it, lose it, okay? I also uh, have a ring that I wear on this hand that's a cross. My parents gave it to me uh, when I was a young man. So I'm not a big jewelry person, but I really value and treasure these two rings. So I take my rings off just very rarely, but one of the times that I do take them off is when I go play golf. I don't play golf often, partially because I'm not very good, but mostly because like five, six hours away from my family on a weekend is just not, it's a very high price to pay. So I take my rings off and I take my watch off and I play golf and I put them into my golf bag. I just like, I have a little pocket where I stuff them away. And that way, you know, I can grip the club a little bit better. I don't get calluses. It doesn't really matter what time it is when you're playing golf. Like, you don't want to be bothered by that. So I put it all away. And this was a couple of years ago. A group of pastors from Bethany, because we actually do like each other and we do hang out together, we went and played golf together after Easter. We, we call it the Pastors Masters. It's kind of silly, but we just, we play around and it's fun. And we're like, yay, we just finished Easter. It's great. And a bunch of people in the room were like, why is that such a big deal? Like, Easter? Like, come on. It's a big deal when you're a pastor. So we're playing the pastor's masters. I put my rings into my little bag, and we go play, and we have a great time. And then I come back, and I reach into my bag, and I pull out my cross ring, I pull out my watch, and you know this sinking feeling when you're feeling around for something that should be there, but it's not there. And you, you kind of go like, oh, did I put it in there? Yeah, I did. Okay. And you feel around a little bit more. And that's when I discovered the little hole in the bottom of this particular pocket in my golf bag. I did get a new golf bag right after this, by the way. Like having a hole in one of the most important pockets in your golf bag is not a good thing. So my wedding ring is missing. Now, this is the second time I've lost my wedding ring. The first time is a totally different story. It involves a metal detector and searching through baby diapers. So I'll tell that another time. But this story is about losing it at a golf course. And I was fearful that losing my wedding ring would get me into trouble. Now, those of y'all that know my wife, Jill, know that's ridiculous. Like, I, by the grace of God, married someone who is loving and kind and wonderful to an incredible degree. Like, why should I possibly be afraid of losing my wedding ring again? Well, because it's embarrassing, because mostly about my own insecurities, right? But I thought, oh no, I lost my wedding ring, okay. So I tell my friends, we all start looking for it. I tell the clubhouse attendant, I tell the caddies, they're like, you didn't even pay me to play with you and like, you want me to help you find this thing? So we start looking, I mean, picture all these guys, because it's always men, on our hands and knees, crawling around at a golf course. I guarantee you, everybody who zipped by on their golf cart looked at us and went, yeah, somebody lost their wedding ring. Like this probably happens like once a day at golf courses, right? So all these guys are looking for the wedding ring. We don't find anything. And so I'm so disappointed. I go get in my car and I think to myself, I should just order another one. Like these are sterling silver, like pretty inexpensive. Like that's kind of how I like jewelry. I don't want anything real fancy. So I get on the phone and I call the jeweler, uh, James Avery Craftsman, which is based in Texas. They're a wonderful organization. And I say, hey, look, I lost my wedding ring. And the lady on the phone goes, oh really, you don't say. Like 
She probably gets calls like this a million times a day. And I say, can I order one? And it's just the simplest sterling silver band. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want me to expedite it? And I'm like, you're good. <laughs> You've done this before. <laughs> and I go, sure. And it's crazy because one of my deep values is stewardship. And I don't pay for expedited shipping. Like, I just don't. Like, I don't ever need anything that quickly. But in that moment, I thought, I got to get this wedding ring. This is the second time I've lost it. Like, oh, no. So I hang up the call. I've ordered the ring. It's going to be on its way. It's like twice as much because of the expedited shipping. And then I get a call from the golf course. We found your ring. I mean, I literally hung up the phone with the jeweler, and then the golf course calls me. The ring had just been laying on the ground, on the cart path. Someone had run over it with their golf cart, heard the little ding, 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 and they went back and looked for it, and they found it. And to this day, the wedding ring that I wear in my hand has a little bit of a rough edge on it because it got run over by a golf cart, and it reminds me every time I put it on to slow down. Slow down. Take a deep breath and slow down. Everybody just do that. Take a deep breath and just say to yourself, you can say it out loud, slow down. We do not live in a part of the world that values slowing down. We don't. Because we live in a, a densely packed, kind of suburban, semi-urban environment, one of the things that's impressed into you and to me from day one, when we arrive in the culture that we live in on the east side, is you've got to be ahead. You have to be. You have to be ahead in your career. You have to be ahead in your kids. You have to be ahead in all these other things. Case in point, I've had people say to me, if I don't get this promotion, I'll never get promoted. I've got to get this promotion. No, you don't. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Like, slow down. What are you really after here? Parents feel this acutely every time the dreaded word registration pops up on our email because we go, ah, I got to make sure I register my kids for camp, for school, for this thing, because all the slots are going to fill up and what's going to happen? My kids are going to, say it with me, miss out. They might miss out. They might get left behind. That's not actually true. Your kids are going to be fine if they don't go to underwater basket weaving camp. It's okay. But we feel this, and our feelings direct us toward behavior that is sometimes irrational. And so what I want to illustrate, what my story about my wedding ring illustrates is this. Fear makes us impatient. I'm giving y'all like the whole kit and caboodle right at the top. Fear makes us impatient. That is what I want y'all to hear. That is what I believe the story illustrates for us today. Fear makes us impatient. It makes you and me impatient. And if, like the Apostle Paul was writing to this church in Galatia, if patience is one of the primary values of the New Testament church, we've got to identify and isolate and remediate those things that would drive us away from patience. This is who we're called to be. Now, we know this about Paul's letter to the Galatians. He's writing this about 15 years-ish into his ministry, so he's tried stuff. He's done things. Think about 15 years into your career, what you knew compared to year zero. <laughs> I knew a lot of things compared to what I knew in year zero of ministry. The point isn't to pat yourself on the back. The point is to say, what are those critical lessons that you want to make sure you don't miss out on as a leader at this stage in your journey? He's telling the people of Galatia, these things are what are really going to hold water when the chips are down. I'll just read this for us as a refresher. This is Galatians 5, 
and this is the NRSV version of the scripture, Paul writes this, the fruit of the Spirit, you can say it with me if you know them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This week we're talking about patience. One of the most important lessons that Paul learned that he needed to teach to these leaders in Galatia. So we're not just talking about this as an idea. What we're doing through this sermon series is we're saying, look, here's something that Paul talked about. We know this is important. We've talked about love. We've talked about joy. We've talked about peace. But the unique angle that we're trying to take as a church is to say, how did Jesus embody this? How did Jesus actually demonstrate with his life that patience mattered to him? And that's where we're going to look at the story of the rich young ruler, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And we're going to look at it through three different lenses. We're going to talk about the definition of patience. That's part one. We're going to talk about the dialogue between Jesus and this young man. And then we're just going to try to figure out some ways to apply it. Dialogue, definition, or excuse me, definition, dialogue, and application. Definition is going to be super short, okay? The English definition of patience, which we all love, is the capacity to accept or, excuse me, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. I'll say that again because it's such a great definition because we all hear and we all think, ugh. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Not a one of us in this room does this perfectly. But in your discussion groups, I want you to share a story of someone who does pretty good at this, who you would look to as an example of patience. Be thinking about that as we talk. Now, the Greek word that is used in Galatians chapter 5 is macrothumia, macrothumia. The prefix of that, macro, is where we get English terms like macroeconomics. What does macro mean? It means big, broad, 30,000-foot view. It means to maximize something. Macrothumia means to be patient to the degree that you are willing to endure, that you're going to practice forbearance, forgiving others, that you're going to have fortitude. Isn't fortitude a great word? It just it means like you can hang in there, but you're not just gritting your teeth. You're resilient. You're resourceful. Macrothumia is a great word. And so Jesus encourages this in this dialogue with the rich young ruler. This is where we're making the shift now to the dialogue. The word patience doesn't come up in the story about the rich young ruler. It's not there, but it is there in how Jesus talks to him. Now, to set the context for this for just a minute, Jesus is addressed by this young man, this is in uh, Matthew 19, if you want to turn there, as rabbi. Now, that wasn't just him, you know, throwing out some cheap term. You didn't just refer to someone as rabbi. Rabbis were teachers. Rabbis were revered. Rabbis were acknowledged in the Jewish community as being people of excellent training and education. But here's the trick. Rabbis would occasionally have people come up to them and do what this young man does, ask him a direct question, share your wisdom with me, like tell me something. But in general, rabbinic teaching was relational. To be a rabbi was not just to drop pearls of wisdom onto people and go on to the next thing. No, to be a rabbi was to be involved in relationship with your disciples. See, if you wanted to be a student of a rabbi at this time, uh, men, sorry, it was a patriarchal society, so ladies, you were left out of this one. Men would approach a rabbi and they would say, hey, I would like to be one of your disciples. I'd like to follow you. I'd like to learn from you. And the rabbi would basically say, great, quit everything else 
and come and follow me. Come and be on this journey with me for the next couple years. And that's how you would step into this teaching. It was life on life. It was people learning from one another by doing things together. That's not what this rich young ruler brings to Jesus. He comes to Jesus almost like an East Sider would, and I kind of love this about him. He goes, hey Jesus, give me the download. Give, give me, can you send me a PDF? Give me like the shortest version of my answer to this question. I really need it uh, kind of quick. I think I'm close. I think I'm closing that last mile. I think I'm almost there. I just need you to answer this question for me about my spiritual concerns. He wants a transactional experience. One of our greatest challenges on the east side is that we are used to paying premium prices for excellent goods and services. That's what he expects right here. That's not what Jesus is gonna give to him. And the way that Jesus demonstrates patience, the way that if you looked up in the dictionary and there could be a picture of Jesus and the rich young ruler, it would be right next to the word patience. The way that happens in today's text is because how Jesus treats the rich young ruler. The scriptures tell us this is in John 2, this is in Luke 9, this is all over the Bible. One of the amazing gifts that Jesus had is he knew people's hearts. He knew their hearts. Not just he could read their minds, you know, that's kind of like superhero type stuff. No, he knew people's hearts. He could walk into a room and understand the motives, the emotions, the will that you and I carry around inside of us. He could, he could get to that immediately. And he knew that about the rich young ruler. He knew that. And it's his unbelievable act of grace and mercy to dialogue with him even though he knows his heart. Even though he knows that this young man just wants the quick answer, he just wants to get to the solution, help me figure this out, Jesus doesn't belittle him. He doesn't denigrate the question. He engages in a dialogue with him that is the picture of patience. He's not gonna be fooled. He's not getting played here. He is simply showing up and being patient in a dialogue that he already knows the outcome. Would you, would I, be so patient and so gracious if we knew how the dialogue was gonna go? If you're trying to teach your kids something and you're, you know, in the back of your mind, you're just kind of going like, I know you're not gonna listen to me. Like, I know this is a fool's errand, but I'm still gonna do it. That's a little bit like what's happening here. A lot of us, myself included, just kind of go, I don't even, this isn't worth, worth my time. It's not. Jesus doesn't do that to this young man, which is an encouragement not just for how we see Jesus, not just for me personally, because this is one of the reasons I'm a Christian. If Jesus is patient with this young man, he will be patient with me. If he is so unflappably gracious to this young man, he will be gracious to me. He will be gracious to you. He will be patient with you. If you are tired of struggling with a long-term sin, if you are sick of the way that you respond in crisis, if you are frustrated and stagnated in your spiritual growth, guess what? We have a Savior who is riding shotgun with you the whole way. He will be patient with you, church. He will. He is with me, so he definitely will be with y'all. Now, this is what we know from the dialogue. Now let's talk about, like, what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives? What was the lesson I shared at the top? Fear makes us what? Impatient. Fear makes us impatient. The rich young ruler, what's he afraid of? He actually says it in two different places, two different ideas about what he's afraid of. He's afraid of getting it wrong, and he's afraid of not doing enough. 
Anybody relate to those fears? Getting it wrong, not doing enough. I lost my wedding ring again. Oh no, I'm getting it wrong. Not doing enough. I better hurry up and go do this thing. We know that he's afraid of getting it wrong because he comes to Jesus with a specific question. Teacher, which commandments should I follow? What are the most important ones? I don't want to deal with these other ones. They're not as important, Jesus. Make me an A student by giving me the test. I'm afraid I'll get it wrong. He's also afraid of not doing enough. Remember, Jesus tells him. He answers his question graciously, patiently. And then he says to him, I've kept all these things. What do I still lack? I've done it. I checked the box. I I made it work, Jesus, and it's still not working for me. He's worried. He's not doing enough. He's fearful. What do you fear right now? Do you fear getting it wrong? Do you fear not doing enough for your kids, for your business, for your school? Fear makes us impatient. And the Apostle Paul did not want the church to be an impatient, angsty group of people. And yet every one of us has these things that kick around in us. They kind of, you know, they're like a roller coaster. They kind of come and go at different times. But we all have these base fears in each of us. And what Jesus wants to do is not to slap you on the wrist and say, shame on you for your fears. What he wants to do is say, let me heal you. Lift that up for me so that I can see it in the light, so you can see it, so I can bring healing to you and get you through this. Fear makes us impatient. And more than Jesus wanting us to be patient, oh, I can twiddle my thumbs and wait kind of people, he wants us to be fully alive. That's what we miss out on if we are impatient. (laughs) I wrote down, don't use the phrase miss out, because that's just so ironic, but there you go. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, fear, sniveling, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather what, church? A spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. I'll say that again. 2 Timothy 1.7. This is the life God longs for you and for me. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. He gave us a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. So church, here's your takeaway. Would you this week even now, because we'll have some time to pray about this, would you be willing to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to be honest with you. This is what I fear. I'm afraid of failure. I'm I'm not all that different from the rich young ruler. I'm afraid of getting it wrong. I'm afraid of being caught in my sin. I'm afraid of the truth coming out about the things I struggle with. I'm afraid. Because by naming our fears, they lose their power over us, they lose their teeth, their ability to sort of bite into us. And by naming our fears, Jesus can heal us from them. I guarantee you that any pastor you know right now fears what I fear, which is if we reopen our church, people will not come back. We've been out of the habit. People, they can do this online. Why should they come? Every pastor fears this, right? And I do too. The fear that's tied to my job is a fear in my life. Deeper down than that for me is a fear as a parent that what my kids will remember of me when I'm gone someday, may it not be soon, but someday, is a legacy of impatience, a legacy of of being kind of harsh with my words, being too short, being too quick to kind of put my kids in their place. No, I want my kids to remember their dad as someone who was kind, 
who was patient, who maybe embodied some of the fruits of the Spirit. Oh, Lord, if it could be true. But so often, that's not the case. So I fear that. What do you fear, church? And would you hold that out before the Lord? Now, I'm going to say this for those of y'all that have been here a little while. You're not going to have to share that in your breakout rooms. That's between you and the Lord, what you fear. You're going to have some time in breakout rooms to talk about a positive model of patience. But what you fear is between you and the Lord. And I would encourage you to share that with a spouse, with a trusted friend, with someone that you can kind of name these things and be safe in that. But as we close, we're just going to pray through that passage from 2 Timothy. And we're going to have a minute just to pause, slow down, right? And ask the Lord to help us with our fear. So if you're online, if you're joining us on Facebook, if you're here in the room, I'm going to invite you to pray with me and then we'll transition to our breakout rooms. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this challenging story because we see ourselves in it. We are fearful of getting it wrong. We are fearful of not doing enough. And Lord, I, I shared some of my fears and I pray that for every one of us in this church, for every one of us that's a part of this worship service, online or in person, that we would take just a moment, take a deep breath, and as best we're able to say to you in the quiet of our hearts, Jesus, this is what I'm afraid of right now. And it's making me impatient, and it's leading me toward darkness and destruction. Hear us, Lord, as we confess to you our fears as individuals, as spouses, as parents, as people working in important jobs or working on degrees. Hear us as we tell you in the quiet of our hearts how we are afraid. And Lord, we don't want to just stay in our fears. You love us too much to leave us where we are. You accept us for where we are, but you want us to go further up and further in. So Lord, hear us as we offer up these words to you. We call upon you to live into this promise in the scriptures in 2 Timothy 1.7. We know you did not give us a spirit of fear and sniveling and hiding of cowardice. We ask that you would rid us of those things that continue to drag us down. Rather, Lord, we want to set our eyes on you. And Lord, would you pour out upon us your resurrection power. Pour out your power, Jesus. If we need power to be prayer warriors, if we need power to be courageous in our marriage or in our parenting or in our work, fill us with your power. Father, fill us with your love. We learned a couple of weeks ago how your love seeks the flourishing of the object upon which it is directed. You want us to flourish. You want flourishing in our whole world. But fear will short-circuit that and get in the way of that. So help us. The final thing we would pray for is the spirit of self-discipline, this recognition that we are so wayward and we need boundaries, we need guidance, we need a path. So Lord, draw us to yourself. You will call us into self-discipline that is life-giving and healthy. So may we be a people of power and of love and of self-discipline. 
And as we turn our attention now to a brief discussion in our breakout rooms, we just want to give this time to you. We trust you, and we love you, and we believe that you are with us. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that are new, I just want to invite you, and those of you joining us online, we are going to have a chance to just talk for 10 minutes in breakout groups. So what that means, if you're in the sanctuary, you're welcome to move these chairs around. They're not bolted to the floor. You can move them. You can also go sit anywhere you'd like and spread out. And you'll just talk with the people around you. Please uh, get into groups of six or fewer. Uh, Share your name, how long you've been coming. Uh, and then a real quick God sighting, just a place in your life where you've seen God at work or where you'd like to see him at work. And then if you have time, uh, share an example of someone in your life who truly models patience for you. Who's someone who's just exemplary at the gift of being patient? So you'll get into your breakout rooms here. We'll get into our rooms online. We'll go until 1010. I'll keep an eye on the time for us. But go talk, get some fellowship in, and then we'll regather before we finish our time in worship. Uh, Let's head out to our breakout rooms.